and uh, we wish them the best of luck. And I'll make some noise for the next couple of years when I decide to get out of San Wisconsin and run a couple more laps on the Grand National Circuit. Is that Doc Riley talking? I think the first guy was Doc Riley. Hey guys, welcome to Let's Grow Pulling. We have Brian Connor with us tonight. That is going to be awesome. I'm in Barbados and I just came on. Uh, Charles was going to run the show tonight and Roos, I've stayed out of the booze today, I promise, uh, until until after the show. The last time I jumped on Let's Grow Pulling while on vacation, um, you guys were texting my friends telling me to get me off the show. So I behaved today. And I I'm promise in- I won't I won't text them. <laughs> yeah. But no, uh, Charles had Brian lined up and, and then I got a call today. So a couple about a month ago, I teased this big announcement at Louisville, and I talked with I talked with the people today, and um, I'm going to announce I'm going to put out the Eventbrite invitation for the Polar Happy Hour um, this Friday or Saturday. Kind of depends when I we're supposed to fly home Saturday. I might put it out Friday. I might put it out Saturday, but it'll be on the Beer Money Polling Team page. And I just want to stress this: this this what this, this what this is has nothing to do with Louisville, and the Polar Happy Hour is not going to be. On the Louis, you know, on the Farm Show Fairgrounds. What's that called, guys? The uh, Kentucky uh, Expo Center. The, the, the yeah, the Kentucky Fairgrounds. So what? What this? Um, what this event has nothing to do with. Um, I just re- they really want me to stress that because uh, quite a few phone calls were made to Mike Witt, and Mike Witt was like, "Whoa, why are all these people calling me? I don't know what's going on and stuff like that." This group is using uh, the stage of the National Farm Machinery Show Truck and Tractor Pull to announce this new thing to the pullers. So there's going to be a puller happy hour Thursday, February 14th or no, the 16th. And um, I'm going to put out the event, right? And there's room for about 300 people in the room. And um, they're going to make their big announcement and tell you what's coming to the sport of truck and tractor pulling. And it has nothing to do with PPL. This is just something it's, it's good for the whole sport and it's intended for outlaw PPL and NTPA pullers. So again, I just really, really want to stress, do not call Mike Witt or text Mike Witt and ask him what this is about. Mike does not enjoy all those phone calls. Um, so please don't do that to Mr. Witt, but I will put out the invitation. It's going to be for pullers who are at Louisville. So you you kind of find out first what's going on uh, with this big thing that's coming to pulling. And I'm, I promise you guys, it's something that it's going to bring more eyeballs to the sport than ever before. And it's going to be good. It's going to bring people to the sport 
that maybe haven't been interested to, as, as as much in the past as maybe they should be. So I'm really excited for that. Uh, before I leave, though, uh, it was so exciting to see the final round of the Pullers Championship come to fruition last night. I watched the show that you guys did. Uh, we had a ton of people watching last night. And I was joking around, this is one of the best shows we've ever had. And that's just a joke between us internally. Um, <laughs> our numbers are awesome. They're going through the roof. Top, top six had to be. Top six. <laughs> Thank you, Roos. I was waiting for that. <laughs> but today, guys, just to see, like our heroes, our, you know, I saw Jeff Hurt post asking for votes. You know, I, I just saw a lot of different people posting. Donnie Reeves from California. It was really, really neat to see pullers already lobbying uh, to vote their way into the pullers championship. So, Brent, you've done an amazing job with the software and, and everything like that. And I do want to stress that, like, so I got a call, and I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not, but why is why wasn't Ken Venny in the top 20? That, I mean, people were, like, pissed at me. Like, I was getting text messages, how did you leave out Ken Venny? And I'm like, Ken made the top 20. We reached out to Ken. Ken said, I'm not going to be ready by the Pullers Championship or whatever. You know, some people have to farm. Some people have – we have one puller that had a wedding. And we're like, well, who would get married on the Polar Championship weekend? That's the first thing we thought, but uh, it makes it fun. It makes it fun. So, but again, I'm going to have all the information out for the event right coming up for the Polar Happy Hour in Louisville. It has nothing to do with Louisville. It has nothing to do with the farm show. This group is using the farm show as the stage because, as we all know, the polling world, big eyeballs on the farm show. Um, so, Brian Connor, it is great to have you on our show tonight. I'm in Barbados. I'm going to go hang out with my wife and my friends. Charles, take it over. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. I keep refreshing my screen, Brent. Uh, is the voting live yet? Yes. It is. Okay. Yep. All right. That, do it after the show. Stay and watch because uh, we've asked Mr. Brian Conner to join us tonight. How are you, sir? Uh-oh. You can hear us. We can't hear you. <laughs> Check your settings and see what the audio microphone is set to. I'm going to be right back, guys. <clears throat> My food is done, so I'm going to eat. All right. I talked too much and didn't give chance Brian a chance to tense, uh, test his microphone, Charles. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's all good. We'll get it. We'll get it sorted. We'll get okay. it figured out. You guys have a good night. Later. All right. See ya. Brian's got a great story to tell, so I'm anxious for you guys to hear it. Um, yeah, it should be in the audio settings and see what the microphone is tuned to. Uh, should be like, I guess I don't know what computer you're using. <laughs> Real tech array, something like that. Most of you know, you know, the story about bad medicine, the hardcore amongst you and, and fandom. Uh, have heard the legend. Um, I was too young to see it in person in the early 1990s, but uh, this is one of the guys that uh, was central to that story and did so much more today in the sport of pulling, and that's why we wanted him to be on. Um, but while working on that uh, tech piece, um, something that uh, Brent mentioned to us off mic uh, before we started, we told you last night the intention with the, the Polish Championship voting was that we were going to have pictures of each machine with it in, in the balloting there. Um, in testing that this afternoon, it's really slow. Horrible experience for you, and there's a risk that it crashes the server for us. So that's not going to be the case. Um, that, that piece of the balloting will not be there. It will not appear um, when you go to vote. Um, so just want you to be aware of that. 
Um, it is live. I just clicked into it. Um, I'll do it later after the program. But uh, so something happened this weekend, did it? The Hornets' nest get kicked a little bit. Maybe just a little. Just a little bit. I'm curious. I, I really wanted Brian to be on because I'm curious to hear what he he kind of would think about it. I, I don't want to get too deep into what uh, the Shramics had to say um, in their open letter to uh, WPI. Um, we've heard a response from Kevin Campbell. Uh, apparently, it does refer to the Chaos Fab IH blocks. The specifics of exactly what is out of spec is still a bit vague and. Of course, the the procedural piece that the Shramics are calling out in, in it, uh, really their their beef is not with with chaos, uh, has more to do with how it was handled with the sanctioning body, and and they have been silent so far. So I really don't want to get too far into the weeds of what happened or, or why or how or it, it doesn't matter um, until something is said or or a resolution is announced by them because ultimately they are the decider as far as how it's going to be handled going forward. Um, for my own part and what I was, what I'm curious to hear Brian's particular thoughts on are we've got entire classes out there running with bodies that are from the automotive world and nobody cares what's under the hood. You'll have a field of 30 four wheel drive trucks show up at a hook and 25 of them will be Sonny Leonard Hemis with all kinds of bodies over top and no one cares two-wheel drives, all kinds of different bodies. And you'll have 15 of them that are Hemis and 15 that are minor brothers. They all have 1471 blowers and they make the same sound. No one cares. I understand, particularly within the, the ag community, the sense of brand identity and wanting to um, feel that passion for what is presented. Um but that ship sailed with the any engine, any hood rule a few years ago. Are we at a point now where trying to whip the crap out of old cast ag stuff where some of us found out really closely how dangerous that can be? Is it worth it to do that any longer? Um, there's the recast blocks, but at this point, really does it matter? Why, why are we adhering to specs of cam location? Why do we care about spread bores when the rest of the pulling sport doesn't? Um, I don't know. Feel free to throw in the comments what you think. Um, I'm not saying one way is right or one way is wrong. It just seems like if we're talking about the, the global good of the sport, well, one side of the sport has already told you and has told you for the last 35 years they don't care. And now in this one area we do. I, I don't know. Checking to see if I've got a message from Brian at all while he's working on whatever that is. I don't know. Nothing yet. So he's still sorting that. I don't know. What do you think, Ryan? I think to a point, I think what's done is done. And I don't think you're going to, I don't think letters are going to change much of anything. I think history kind of plays that out. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> I guess it's probably is going to come out sounding real harsh and, it, and it's not intended to be, but if you can't look up, join them. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, the, the same rules apply to your hood and what's under it as applies to anybody else and anything else that comes out of chaos is shop for a pro stock. Yeah, I would tend to agree. It's, it's tough at this point to put the toothpaste back in the tube and, and there's, there's some obfuscation as to whether or not the, the, the block in question ran in competition anywhere in 2022. I don't know. I, I didn't run around pro stock or super stock pit areas looking for cylinder heads to be off and looking for differences. I don't think anybody else did either. Um, the sanctioning bodies have told PPL and NTPA both have said to chaos that this thing's legal. If, uh, if there was a procedural oops or someone got overridden um, and it was a backroom closed room deal, well, it, it'll come out, I guess, in the wash. We'll find that out in the, the days and weeks ahead. Um, but, you know, the, the old adage, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Um probably exists here they, they could draw the hard line that well what what they did we're going to go back on that we're going to say no now it's not approved which has happened just yep. ask the v8 ask the v8 guys with ntpa they know it was approved then it wasn't approved and it was which that was also in the in the letter there and um at least one v8 puller is like what are you bringing me into this for but uh I don't know. It's uh, it's a tough thing, but I think uh, motorsports always is in a, in a state of pro- progression too. And the change that was made, assuming that this is what it is, it's, it seems to boil down to boil down to location of where the head bolts are, where those bores are. And I guess I, I throw, saw us through some some commentary too. It may have to do with the, the diameter as well, going to a larger size stud. I think that's a good idea just for, for safety's sake. You, you see all kinds of crazy girdle and deck plate designs and head hold downs guys are coming up with to keep these things, keep the lid on them. Um, if you can have that taken internally by the block, I can't see where that's a bad thing. Uh, but if relocating bolts also means bigger bores and then the guys are up in the power again, I, I've got questions there because – what do I mean by that? I was expecting Brian to be honest. I didn't fully flesh out this, what I was going to say in the order I was going to say this in. You're still hold to, held to a cubic inch rule. It's pro stock at 680. It's this, if it's a open super at 650, if it's a diesel, it's 540. Moving those around means you can increase the bore. You can move the valves around. You can make it a bigger bore that you can wind higher. Um, push the RPM up higher. The horsepower will come with it the torque numbers will fall off, which isn't a bad thing with as hard as we're pushing this stuff. That's when we start breaking stuff. When we load them down to that low RPM and the torque comes in, cylinder pressures rise and and just start blowing things apart. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And, And when it comes to where the holes and stuff are in the head and those classes have been allowed open cylinder head for a long, long time, the exception of pro stock, not being allowed to have overhead cams. Um, They've been able to do whatever they want, raise ports, move stuff around in the cylinder head for a very long time. It's not not a new concept. So the, the idea or the tipping point that we should have held to some kind of a stock piece in the, in the top levels within the hooded classes hasn't been a thing for, for 30 or 40 years, 40 years probably, 
Um, there's been there's been talk in some of these streams and groups about uh, you know billet heads appearing as far back as '83. Guys were doing it on a Bridgeport probably because there was no CNCs back then. So sticky situation, of course, and and I don't. We'll get to this later. Um, some perspective about all this. I certainly don't want people's feelings to be hurt over the whole thing because a lot of these threads got pretty nasty. Um, a lot of insult slinging, which was unnecessary and uncalled for. You can agree or disagree with what the stance a particular person's taken, but that doesn't mean you have to go after them as a person. Um, it's kind of disappointing to see that. Looking at some of these comments, Mike Stefan using bigger bolts and maybe moving location of hole was for strength also. Uh, if it was for safety, I say go for it. Worst part of the saying these days, there are. I've I've heard reference to that as well. Guys had uh, head designs that um, you know where ports were moved around or whatever, and it meant the head bolts were actually left out, and they just welded the hole over uh, in order to achieve what they wanted to. Um. I don't doubt that in times past that probably did happen today. Maybe not so much, but uh, yeah, Brian is he's, his internet went down. Well, that sucks. Yeah, uh, he's trying to get his hotspot going, so maybe he can do it that way or through his phone. So, I'm um, sorry. I'm not as good at multitasking and having like eight trains running down the tracks like Jason. He can just drive this bus and still keep a th mostly cogent thought <laughs> not wired that way sometimes yeah sometimes sometimes uh point in the national classes built blocks efi etc and look to the state level to restrict classes to keep numbers and or gain numbers i.e 50 pro stock nick i don't disagree with that notion at all um 50 pro stock was first kind of announced that I, I said on this show like i don't see the need for this because you're just gonna steal tractors from other classes, who's new that we're really bringing to the sport? Is there going to be some new tractor built for 5.0? And I didn't, I said I didn't think so. But in, in the conversations that have ensued since then, talking to big pro guys who really are at the point where they can't keep up and, and but they still want to stay with what they have and still run with what they have, <coughs> I think it's a great option that keeps, keeps tractors in and going. Um, well, they're not indestructible, but they're much more reliable. Uh, yeah. The outlaw tractors, that's, yeah. You can still blow one up for sure. Right. You know? Yeah, we've seen four ones that four ones are capable of blowing up even with that much smaller of a charger. Um, so definitely five O's can do it, but I think the, the you know the the days right now where they're on the ragged edge with these these big six inch plus charger trackers where you know turbos have a free run lifespan and I don't know the pump maybe six and then you got to go inside the engine at ten. You know, if a guy can go a full season on one turbo rebuild and the pump and the motor get get across, say, 18 hooks or 16 without having to crack it open, okay. I think we got something there. I think we got something there. Yeah, Brent. Yeah, it sounds like it was – and I, I don't know. I haven't heard NTPA side of the story. Um you know, these parts have to be submitted for approval. By all accounts, Kevin did that. He did what he was supposed to do. If procedures weren't followed, that's not his fault. So I don't know. Without hearing the third side of the story, I don't know where to take that. I guess what I'm saying. 
Uh, when does it get dangerous? And we're already there. We've been there. Mm-hmm. We've been at that point of it being dangerous for people to be around. Um, do I think we're nitromethane dangerous yet? No, I don't think we're ever going to get to that point. But uh, um, yeah, well, we're already... we were we we were once at that point. Mm-hmm. Way back in the day when you and I were in diapers. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There are a few guys who, who did. There are a handful of garden tractor guys who did. Oh, for sure. Garden tractor guys were tipping some can. Um, and yeah, there was, there was rumors of, of mods who had, you know, not crazy percentages, but had some back in the day as well. That, uh, um, But back then, too, you know, the, the nitro racing that was going on at 100%. Um, we're making less power than alcohol engines are making and pulling 10 years ago. So, I mean, it's, it's come a long way on both sides when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just an unfortunate thing. I think there's a lot to be sussed out. And I know there's a lot of, a lot of moving pieces and a lot of moving parts um, within really both organizations what happened this winter. I mean, it's, there's, you got a lot of changes at the top, a lot of things that I'm not going to say they're overlooked, but just focuses in a bunch of different areas. And sometimes maybe the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. In any organization, that's a possibility. I'm not saying that's what, what happened. Um, is it me maybe doing a little bit of excuse making on NTPA's part? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it is. Maybe I'm being a little bit of an apologist there. Um, so we hear from them. What, what's the story? My guess is as good as anybody else's. Yeah, it is supposed to be about the people and about the pullers. Um, the pullers I'm sure want more input as, as the NTPA side, but, uh, you know, that goes back to the agreement with WPI, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, they're the decider, um, for better or worse. And at the end of the day, maybe you don't necessarily have an opinion that's going to be enough to sway. Um, that's the the flip side, I think, with on the PPL side of the ladder, you always knew who the buck stopped with, who the ultimate decider was, um, and still will be going forward. Um, I think I think that's kind of actually a, a positive for the the idea of a outright dictatorship in the sport. You have that ultimate accountability with one individual who's going to say yes or no, and hopefully that individual has sufficient vision to foresee the consequences of their choice. And I think I think in the case of John Mears, anyway, I'd say he has that vision. He wouldn't have lasted this long if he didn't. So certainly a feather in his cap that uh, he's been successful at, at navigating these waters pretty well. Let's try this again. Well, I'm trying it on my cell phone. I don't know what happened. To That's my can you hear me now? I can, sir. Awesome. We can. I guess I'm technologically challenged here. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh huh. Should never sure. admit that. Maybe about right? <laughs> maybe about the internet, but that's probably about where it stops. Yeah, I've never never had this go down in over a year now. Unbelievable. 
Well, they had to sooner or later. They had to, you know, do better than soup cans out to where you are. Now it's working. Yeah, well, we're in the middle of nowhere, that's for sure. I just reading in the in the Warren Johnson book, he said he was 500 miles from where God left his boots. <laughs> so that's about where we are. <laughs> and you're right around the corner from that. I've been there. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I do. I do want to. Well, uh, pearl, to... Pearls of wisdom that I look miss out on here yeah so. I, was, I was gonna start circling back around to that yeah i do want to introduce you to our our, our viewers and kind of tell a little bit about your history and your story um but we might as well pick it up where the conversation's already at with the the open letter to wpi about engine blocks from the ceramics i'm getting and... i'm getting a little feedback here okay i'm getting a little feedback uh, here. i need to turn volume down or something yeah Either that or you all, your echo cancellation must be on because I don't hear any echo. So, okay. Any rate, I've got my headset on. It should work. I've got it turned down a little bit now. Okay. So, we got into the open letter from What were you Shramix. saying? We got into the open letter from Shramix to WPI about uh, the engine block story and kind of where, you know, we don't know what NTPA's side of the story uh, is. But I was kind of curious. Let me here. Yep. Do what you got to do. Let me turn off my headset. Are you there? Yep. We're still there. The Hello. Hello. <laughs> And Bluetooth won't shut off. That's stupid thing. Believe it or not, this is not the worst. I swear. <laughs> I never have trouble with this stuff. I talk on this thing. I had a three-hour phone conversation today and didn't have any trouble. Mike sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys hear me now? Yeah. Yep. Yep. We can hear you. Can you hear okay. us? Okay. <laughs> That's better, I believe. All right. And now it's a little bit unbelievable. <laughs> He's pretty froze. We're not winning here. We're not. To, we're not to the. The war that we had with uh, Steve Blagrave got on tech, but we're getting close. <laughs> it's true. Okay, so I'm gonna pause there for a minute. I don't had commercial yeah. interruption or. <clears throat> I think we're good. Yeah. We had the TV time okay. on. Okay. <laughs> pause for. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's try this. Works for me if it works for you. All right, I'm not promising anything. No, I just your your being here is good enough for us. Um, we kind of got in a little bit on on the open letter from the ceramics to WPI and 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 a little bit about Kevin Campbell's response. Now, haven't heard NTPA side of it, so I really don't want to get too far in the weeds of of what's going on there yet. I I was asking the broader question of at this particular point. Does it matter anymore 
about adhering to stock specs and the tractor classes when the truck guys don't care? That's a very good question. They opened themselves up to this as soon as you started allowing recast and billet blocks. So people have been doing this for years, relocating bolt holes and that. And if you go clear back to the 70s and 80s, Rich Miller, if you recall, with the poor loser, put a put a billet block inside of a, a shell of a of a stock Oliver motor that started all the all the rules about stock blocks and being able to swing a stock and all the water jackets had to remain in place blah 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 all that if you know i'm old enough to remember all that stuff you guys are probably too young but that's where it all started because he had access to convening and a bunch of those guys even before he built the ford that he came out with and so this has been going on for a long time and, and if you look at the automotive industry you look at at the car motors that have been built, they've got raised cams in them. They've got different bolt patterns for the cylinder heads. They move stuff around in order to either make it, get the longevity better or the engineering better to where they can get more performance out of it. So, I mean, this has been going on for a long time. And as long as, I mean, the guys that are talking about this, the big block deer in and of itself is a much bigger problem and would be a concern to me from an engineering and performance standpoint than moving any bolts around. So I don't understand the concern, I guess. Maybe Fair the procedure, if I, if I read that letter right, maybe the procedure in which it was done was a little bit disheartening for them and maybe it should have been done differently. I don't know, but what does it mean anymore? A bolt move, a bolt here or there, as long as they're not making the motor two foot longer or six inches longer and gaining a huge advantage in that respect. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that's perfectly fair. That's, that's kind of the kind of the sentiment that I had as well about it. I don't know. Again, I don't know. Like you said, the ship the ship sailed a long time ago on a lot of this stuff. So I, I don't know exactly. I was having trouble discerning exactly what the complaint was. I guess it was about the bolt holes, though. Am I to understand that correctly? As far as I know, yes. It's it's bolt holes and where and and I think there was a comment said to you about diameter as well that they had enlarged them, um, which to me I think that's just being smart. Yeah, that's been being done for years and years. And if you look at the big block deer, it's all five eight bolts from the factory anyway, from the five thirty one the 619 and that thing's like close to a six inch center to center bore spacing on that thing which the john deere motor is five and three eighths and the and the and the international is five three three so in my opinion at some point in the future probably for a, a small block could just build a generic motor i mean logically that's where all this would be headed anyway as you have a motor that is a certain length you have certain bore spacings, whether it be the International 533 or the John Deere small block at 5375, and you leave it at that, and you can you can build it what however you want to in that respect. But my my feelings on this is is nothing just a short of not the performance aspect of it, but keeping the motors together. I never wanted to beat somebody because they blew their engines up, and I knew the stock castings years ago were not going to not going to be able to contain the amount of horsepower that was available to be made. And like I said, once you opened that door and allowed them to start putting recasting blocks, making them billet, whatever you do, then it becomes almost a clean sheet of paper 
from an engineering standpoint to do what you think needs to be done. And it's hard to stop. Yep. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the statement I had made, you can't, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, so to speak. Exactly. And the hypermax block, you know, it's got four, the first ones I saw had four bolts in them. So they already in the main, so they already had bolts moved around because the original two were not in the original spot. Plus they had extra ones. They let that go. So, I mean, this has been going on. I don't know what year the hyperblock got approved even for sure, but I was in Texas at that time. I'm pretty sure, but it's been yeah. at least 15 years. I think that, I think you're about right. Mid 2000 sometime. I seem to remember. Yeah. You, you'd kind of gotten away from the sport for a few years. So that's, that brings up a fair point. Let's, let's do that. Uh, for those who have uh, our, our viewers tonight who are unfamiliar with, with Brian Connor and your history in the sport, um, how did you get started doing doing this stuff? Well, my father is one that's guilty of that, so followed him. Yeah, and, I've, and before I let you go, I've got questions about a story I heard about him too. <laughs> you tell yours first, and then we'll get back to his okay. and a certain twelve oh six. Twelve oh six. Well, you may be you may be asking a question that I can't answer or don't have the answer to, but we'll go ahead. I started helping him in the shop about what time I was. Of course, I. <laughs> was like a latchkey kid on his on his back every minute because I wanted to hang out with my dad because he's always at the shop or driving trucks or doing that. So I started helping him at going to the shop by the time I was four years old. The time I was seven, he, he was widening rims and I was grinding the welds down in the shop. And uh, by the time I was eight years old, I got my first tool kit uh, from him that he'd taken in on trade for somebody that owed him money by tearing down a couple of old flathead Continental engines for him. And that's what he'd started with, 101 Masseys, and we, we pulled with those until 1972. We sold that and built the Flying Farmall in 73, which I was born in 60, so the Masseys, I was 13. We brought it out in 74, so I was 14 years old. So nonetheless, um, got hooked on that. We took that Flying Farmall the year I graduated in 78 to Davenport, Iowa. My father thought we were crazy. My brother myself and Jim Libby hauled it up there, 27 tractors in the class, never run a Grand National Pool ever in my life before, paid the entry fee, and there was 27 hooks in the class. I was the last hook, hooked on, choked it. We'd put the new three-speed transmission in, had a brand new set of puller 30.5s on there, the brand new dad was a tire dealer, killed it. Had run it all last year with 24 fives on it, and I didn't know what to do. We had twin carburetors on it, intercooled, and, and all that. I'm, and I'm sitting there doing the math in my head. You know, that's a 21 to one gear. We drop it down to the other gear. It's a 27 to one. It's too slow. Won't be competitive. And brother and I talked. I said the only thing we can do is drop it down to low gear. I don't know what else to do. It won't handle it with these tires. Dropped it down to low and took it out the gate. And there was, I think, five of us or seven. I don't recall now out the gate. Long story short, ended up winning the pull, the last hook in the class, and I've been addicted to the to the sport ever since. So that's how I got my my start. And dad dad was out of it by the time we I went out and worked for Doug Drussel from '79 to '84, the year his shop burned every winter when we weren't farming. And I'd started college in '83 because I saw the farming with mid '80s was going downhill, and I'd started college was going to go to law school. In fact, got accepted but didn't go. Any rate, uh, came back after after graduated college, 
got a job in pharmaceuticals, started making some money. We were state pulling. David James' dad, Mike James, helped us get the old Massey back going again. So we were pulling four classes a night and got a lot of experience doing that and decided to build the John Deere first, the, what a lot of them called it, the Lily White John Deere. And we run it the first year and then they outlawed us running it in the five, seven and nine. So I said, there's no need. We tore it apart and all the rear end parts were junk in it. And I said, there's no need of fighting this deal if they're not going to let us run all three classes. Because I envisioned us doing something like Tim Engler had done, winning all right. three points champion classes and all three classes. So that's when we decided to put, we hadn't put uh, Doug Palmer's tractor all together. We were sorting ours out. And we took all the new parts and put his together and delivered it to him. And then we started in on the, on the white. So, what engine did you have in the, in the flying farm? Was it a 301 or? It was a 301 with a, with a pickup cylinder head on. I forget what it was. Silver. I don't know. Was it, it was a silver diamond? I think they called them. Diamond, yeah. or black diamond. I don't recall now. I know we went to the junkyards and found them. Dad would, I thought we ought to be using an 806, but dad wouldn't spend the money. He said, if you want to pay for it and, he thought it was a better head, and it actually, I guess, was. But doing yeah, the truck head thing even back then. What's that? Doing the truck head thing even back then. We were, yes. So I think I got off topic here. What we? What was the question again? No, you you you're all over it. Uh, no, you're right on. Rolling right through the, the history of the, the tractors and uh, um, for the with the John Deere particularly, you know we. We can get into what the white became, but how much of that tractor really informed what the white became as, as far as everything that went into it? Everything was. It was the first three charger, two stage alcohol tractor ever built. I basically took the all the engineering from it, went into the white and just stepped up, but proved all my theories. Took the top three turbos basically off of the Legod and the and the Al Cook and those guys is set up from back in the day and just and upgraded them in size and efficiencies. Used all my background and that I'd learned with uh, Doug Dressel and all the books that he'd gave, given me to and all the turbochargers books and all the stuff. I I was like a hungry for information when I was in college, so I spent more time in the library looking up scientific stuff than I did studying sometimes. So <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> Used all that technology. It was 558 cubic inch. Brent Long built the cylinder head for us, but it had the three chargers on there. And Brent thought I was absolutely nuts when we did that. He was running three T04s on his. And I talked him into putting a T18A90. Well, what was it we put on that at that time? HX. That was a T18A94 we put on it because we traded a lot of parts. Brent was pretty conservative with, with money and what he did, but very talented very, very talented machinist, and he had capabilities of doing things that I didn't have the machinery or nor the background to do. So he was an integral part of that, all of that. But that was the first tractor we built that would have been a clean sheet of paper, had enough movable weight. It ran the five, seven, the nine, like I said, and it had, it had all the good parts in it. It had the MSD8. It had the big wastegate on it, which I'd already proved a bunch of that stuff on the other. Most of it was the dual pump fuel system and and a sensor set up that we'd built a flow bench to test with the old Massey back in the day. And I just uh, expounded on that and built from that information that I had. And how, how much, how much weight was on the belly bar of that JD when you ran the nine? 
Well, we had about 600 pounds, five to, depending on scales, anywhere from four to 600 pounds of movable weight on in the 5,500 pound class. So do the math. It was 9,500. So there was 44, 4,500 pounds somewhere in there. There's so video, we, there, there's film of that tractor with a weight rack as wide as the 30.5s out the side, and there's weights the whole way. That's right. We had a, we had a group of good friends that went with us, and uh, I don't dare say that I don't believe that one of them would volunteer to throw weights today. But we would, <laughs> we would go five, seven, and nine every night with that thing at state level. Then we decided we got good enough. We went to play with the big boys. Went out to Columbus, Ohio, and then to Bowling Green, and then um, I don't recall what the other one was. It was another Grand National pull that NTPA had that was Alpha Gamma Rho put on. I can't remember. I was in Alpha Gamma Rho, so it was one I wanted to go to. I think it was in Indiana. Name escapes me right now. They don't have a pull now, I don't believe. But, yeah, that was – and with, with the massive, we'd run the 5, the 7, the 9, and the 11, and we only had enough weight to weigh up to 10 fives, so we ran four times a night. I think we won three points championships that one year with it. We missed the other one for some reason, broke a wheel off or something. I believe. <laughs> what a shock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But uh, yeah, that tractor, we learned a lot and proved a lot of our theories out. Ernie was a tremendous fabricator still is to this day. And, and together, we his weaknesses were my strengths, and my weaknesses were his strengths. So we made a pretty good team at that time. So all that studying and learning. What you you mentioned the Massey, we kind of skipped over that one. I've I've always been curious too. There was actually two Masseys, right? There was started out as a two hundred three Massey, which was a very rare, very rare tractor. I wish I'd never cut it up. There was only about I don't know twelve or fifteen hundred of those tractors built if that and it was a 203 g my father paid thousand dollars for it. i only ever found it and it was complete and nice I actually ran my neighbor and i went up there and picked it up and uh, we had it out there doug Russell's was converting it to overhead valve at the time and i think it was 84 when his shop burnt and uh and we were and we, we that we had the fiberglass hood made for it at that time so we had a replica of the 203 sheet metal on the thing and i think in 86 we put the 3505 sheet metal on it gotcha built that in a little bitty shop and ernie's tremendous with doing sheet metal work and we did that me and him rolled all that sheet metal out on a little little sheet metal break that uh he found in Milan, where i live now in fact he found it in the basement of somebody's uh, building that they had, and he bought it for like $400. We built rollers and that so we could roll stuff with it. And it, that sheet metal still on that tractor to this day. And the only shortcoming on it is, is the side shields that, uh, we bought the sheet metal for a little nothing because it had streaks down the middle of it because it was factory drops or seconds we got for a little nothing, but it still, it still looks nice yet to this day. Where is that tractor now? Uh, Mike uh, Novinger owns it. I believe Cody Agent's buying it now, what I'd heard last. But I, it's at Mike's place, Mike Novinger's. He run it for a while, and there's a bunch of parts at Ernie's, I guess, yet, from what Cody had told me. Because he, he, he came up here and looked at it. I, I yeah, Cody, Cody kind of has a thing for those old pulling tractors, doesn't he? 
he's a i don't know what you call him a collector or a jockey or uh, i don't he's, know what you'd call him. i don't know what you i don't know either but if he ever if he ever opens up a museum it's gonna be a hell of a good tour yeah I asked him the other night, we were talking, I said, how many tractors, pulling tractors, you think you got there now? He says, I don't know, 40 to 60. Good Lord. <laughs> got to be kidding me. He's got and a nose finding this stuff. And that's just pulling tractors. That's not all the other stuff that's passed right. through his fingers. That's right. That man's, that man's touched some pretty rare iron over the years. He had the very, the only high clearance 826 that was ever built, I believe. And he 826 didn't, or 1026? I think it was it was a hydro. Was it? An, was it, were they 826s or not? I, uh, I think yes. it was a 1026 because I think, I think, I think it, it just sold at an almond auction. Okay, went up to yeah, New York, I believe. At any rate, it been converted over to a gear tractor, and he went and got the the hydro hydrostat park center section out of the fence row and had to pay the guy some ungodly amount of money for it. But he got it, so the guy put it all back together. And there's a YouTube video on it. He directed me to, and I watched it. He said, "Damn it!" He said, "I did all that work, and they never even mentioned my name." <laughs> <laughs> they could have at least done that. I mean, I don't know if they want to put him on camera. <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust him on camera. <laughs> for some, yeah, for some reason, I think that ended up in uh, in Stu's collection down in Florida. Oh, really? I think it, I kind of think maybe it did. It's been too long and I've slept since then. So my memory <laughs> isn't what it used to be. Trust me. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's a character. He, he was up here a few months ago and we had a good time. We'd actually went over to see Bryce Terry and he got to go over there and look at it. Cause back when Bryce was having trouble and we couldn't figure out what was going on. We finally got that figured out and then it decided to throw the, throw the connection rods out of it after we got it fixed yeah that was hard to watch i was there for that yeah well banged around had an eight inch gap in the header from the from the bottom turbos up to the top turbos and the set of rods was in it. we got another set of rods here that was ready to go in it but he didn't want to put them in when it wasn't running of course and you couldn't see where the exhaust leak was with the hood on the thing it's right up in the grill of it and up in the very front and you just you could not see it and it'd been, mm. going, been going on for quite a while. We brought it in, decided to put the mag. We'd been through everything else and put the mag on it, fired it up here about midnight one night. Bryce Mosley helped me do all that. He worked with me a great deal and been a great asset. We fired it up and he said, hey, come here. And up there in the front, it was about an eight inch rip in that exhaust manifold. And every time when you'd rev it up, it opened up. And so it'd get to 42 pounds of boost and die. And I'd been through the wastegate and through all the exhaust headers, intake and all that. And I kept, cause I kept telling Bryce, I said, it's between the exhaust manifold from the flange on the exhaust and the flange on the intake somewhere. I swear we'd had turbo bottom turbo off. We'd done everything, but I'd have been having some health problems at that time. So I hadn't gone over there to look at it. Not saying that I would have found it because until you took the hood off of it, you couldn't see it. And that's about a four man job on that thing to take it off and not, not to scratch it. Yeah. You know, around that tractor, it's like I tease him all the time. That's a car show interrupted by a tractor pull. A hundred percent. It's beautiful. Though. If you guys want to see actually some of the build photos of High Strong and, and for that matter, the, the John Deere that now that uh, uh, the Phillips have and of course Bad Medicine, uh, you can go to Brian's website. It's uh, connorfuelsystems.com and there's photo galleries in there. 
um, you can see these things that uh, have come out of that shop. And most, none of those are in the new shop, I don't believe. I think that's all in the old shop. Yeah, I think you're right. right. But there's yeah. build photos on my on my Facebook page also, Bad Medicine, if you want to go back that far and look. Yeah. I'm pretty proud of what we did back then. Like Doug Drussell, I flew him out to one of the poles, Bowling Green it was, and uh, had him get on the tractor and start it. And I said, Biggest compliment I probably ever received from him. I says, what do you think? He backed it up and drove it forward. He says, looks like it come out of my shop. I said, you don't know how much that warms my heart to hear you say that. That's a man that between him and Tim Engler that I have the utmost respect for. And Doug Russell, he is, if you look at the NTPA rule book and the, all the drawings in there on the draw bars and all that, that is stuff that he did back in 1980, 81. I went to him with him to the, to the polar meetings in TPA and he, he delivered all that then and it's still used today. Yeah. He's, he, it's a name that if you're, if you've been around a sport, even a, even a handful of years in conversation, it will come up. And I'd be, I think we'd be surprised to know how many trackers are rolling around on aluminum wheels that he spun <coughs> up years and years and years ago. And they're still out there. Yep. Yep. He'd been up 5,000 dollars worth of aluminum in 1978 i believe it was to build the first fully aluminum wheel because he'd already built the centers and was bolting the, the steel ones onto the outside of the aluminum centers and that but he had to build the flange to get it like that and if you, if you can imagine how much five thousand dollars would be today in aluminum oh. i bet it'd be Forty or fifty thousand dollars worth of aluminum, but he built the machine. He tried to get somebody to build it for him. They said it couldn't be done. And yeah. I sit there and work for him every winter, and I I saw it work all the time. He built those outer flanges, take a piece of flat aluminum, and turn it into a ninety degree, and put the little put the little serrations on there so it would tighten against the wheel, and had a deal to size it and cut them and weld them together, and they fit perfect and just unbelievable. The guy built a motorcycle all of his own for. I think it was KTM. I'm not sure now, but when he was 20 some years old, built the whole thing. Everything he, except for gears. Did he wind up doing any other, you know, of those machines for making those wheels for some other people? Like, like Nearpass has a mandrel to draw aluminum and you know spin up a wheel. I didn't, did that start with him? No, he didn't ever build any. Whenever his shop burnt, he kind of took a respite from it and moved to to Denver area. South Sedalia is where he's at, and Lauren Prayer, if you if you know that name, he had the cure sled out there in Colorado. He lived out there, and he moved out there, and he kind of washed his hands of the tractor pulling thing. And just a, he lost so much to that through that fire that I think it kind of yeah. left a bad taste in his mouth. And he just divorced himself from that. And that fire took a lot out of him because he lost several hundred thousands of dollars. He didn't have enough insurance to cover everything. It was really a sad time. It's unfortunate. But, but yeah, but yeah, he built his own his own um, die or lathe that he had that he built the buck to to do centers and those wheels. He did them right there. It was unbelievable. I got to see some stuff I probably never got to see if I wouldn't have worked with him. We went out to Boeing and he had connections out there and got to go through all the heat treat processes and all that. The stuff that I learned is just unbelievable. I got to see where they made the nose cones for the 747s and they had press brakes that were, I don't know, six foot across four of them in a 200 by 200 room that came down and, stuck, and 
that stamped the nose cones out when they made them. Stuff I saw was just unbelievable. Furnace spray stuff. We took a block out there and bored it, and they put it in a vacuum chamber and, and furnace braised. That didn't work out, but it was interesting nonetheless. It was worth the price of admission. Just <laughs> just, just, just try it and see what it looked like. Exactly. It was my fault, too, so I probably worked that month for free. But <laughs> Oops. It happens. <laughs> So a bunch gets boiled down into into what bad medicine became, and of course everybody knows it was it was basically four years of just essentially dominance. The record speaks for itself. Um, the cool thing that you guys got to do with it, you got to take it to Europe. You got to go to Ahoy with that. Where did you go on that trip? Did both of you guys go? I did. What was what was that experience like? Was it a hassle getting it loaded into the container and all the customs and all that stuff you had to do? I'm sure even back then. Well, my, my brother did most of it. I come up on the weekends. I lived in Columbia at that time. And I was in the middle of, I thought we was going to sell the tractor over there. So I'd taken a, a lateral position in Austin, Texas, because I was tired of the snow and everything else. And I thought I could divorce myself from tractor pulling and and move down there. So Ernie got to do most of that, which I think caused a lot of hard feelings. But he did most of that, getting it ready to go. And it was a pain in the ass because... The guy that that had us there, he had us bring a bunch of stuff over there in in the container, and that was a real mess to get it all in there and get it locked down so it wouldn't move around. I, so. I, I did find video of one of one of the passes. I think usually when you go over there for that, you get to make at least a couple anyway. And at the end of this video, there's something you're going to see on the screen that I've never seen anywhere ever, and probably has never happened again since. Um, I'll put this up there, and then uh, let's see if you guys pick up on it. Uh, share screen. I think we bring back shirt and ties for flaggers. <laughs> that was quite an experience. They had, uh, it was standing room only there and they were sold out and they had fist fights out there. People trying to get in, into the place to, to watch us run. And we ran the, we ran, uh, two nights before the show because that sled owner wanted to hook us and see how it went. It scared him so bad that he absolutely ranked the show for everybody else. <laughs> he, put, he put two bricks in the thing, I think, after that. And I don't remember how far back everybody else was, but it was it just, he didn't trust Ernie to drive it and put it through the, through the, through the, the door. <laughs> door, yeah, <laughs> which it just, so because he was probably running 30 some mile an hour indoors first time they hooked it. And he put more weight in it, sped up the gear and that. But they just weren't used to seeing that at the time. And then we had to go back to Villain's house and uh, put a new clutch in it because the clutch, we just won Louisville and we got it over there and we hadn't had time to do anything to it and didn't realize the clutch was gone bad. And I think it ripped out the center hubs in there. 
Then I got to revisit my high school days of the metric system because we had five sixteenths rivets in it, and they had nine millimeter or ten millimeter over there. So that was interesting. Is that are you talking about uh, Willem Veldhuizen? Veldhuizen, yeah, yeah, Veldhuizen, yeah. He really has kind of made a name for himself across the pond, doing some of the basically the same stuff that you've done over here. And uh, how much yeah. of that was self-taught, and how much did you guys kind of share with him and get him started? That was the reason for us to be there. I'm pretty sure <laughs> he I had gotcha. didn't get to do much of anything else. We were there for I think nine days, and he pretty much uh, had our attention the whole time. And then when we had to put a clutch in, that was even better for him. We went over wastegates, fuel systems, turbos, and everything while we were there. I'm not saying he's not a very intelligent man because he is, and I'm proud of him that he's made a business out of it. Yeah. So you stepped away from the sport post-bed medicine, got away from everything, went to Texas. Um, but before you left, were were you already doing some of the stuff that you came back to the sport to do, or did that all come later? No, I was already doing a little bit of fuel system work and that, and and I was in an advisorial position with some of the, the, my buddies out there. But as far as building much, I wasn't building much except for a few fuel systems here and there and a couple of waste gates and some other stuff like that. But I wasn't doing it full time. I was a pharmaceutical rep for 20 years and that sustained me pretty good. And then I, I think I have to go back to that Waylon Jennings song. Women have been my problem ever since I figured out they weren't men. So... <laughs> so i've given away a couple of farms that way i think <laughs> uh, it, it's a club several of us belong to sorry yeah. to say. <laughs> <laughs> so you but come no, you, you move back to to missouri and and now here we are again went through a really bad divorce so i was really down on my luck and i came back here and bryce mosley was kind enough to offer me his shop to work out of and i started rebusiness. i actually worked went to work for Ernie for a little bit, but that didn't work out. Didn't pan out like I thought it would. And, and so started working in Bryce Mosley's shop and then he decided to sell his shop and go another direction. And I built this one here then at that juncture, that was in 2015, started on this shop and got it done in 16. So Moved your, in March of 16, I think it was. With your background on, on turbo setups, certainly you know how to, how to do those. Um, but I think the most of the, like the actual manufacturing that you're doing at, uh, at any rate is on the fuel side, right? We do. We build connecting rods in-house now. Bryce has oh, got okay. a machine in here. We build that. We build several CNC parts in here. Bryce owns a couple of CNC machines. It's in my shop here. And, and I had an employee that, unfortunately, about a year ago died of a heart attack at the age of 41. Right. So... That was unfortunate. That's really put a hiccup in my business here, but because labor is very difficult, especially talented labor is very difficult to find up here where I am. And uh, Bryce is very good, but he's got a very good job that he has to take care of with running the running the train. He works for the railroad, so that occupies a lot of his time. But for sure. he's very, very good at building stuff, too. And unfortunately, whenever I had Josh here, I didn't spend the time to learn how to run the CNC and I should have, but uh, we build rods and a bunch of drive parts and stuff like that. And we can bore blocks and we've got balancing machine here. Bryce does all the counterweight 
counterweighting on the crankshafts and that, and he's built that into quite a business. And, you know, we've got, I don't know, a few hundred thousand dollars worth of machines in here. Gotcha. But, uh, we do have, we don't, the only thing we really can't do is cylinder heads. And I use Bamber's heads and feel like it's probably one of the best ones in the market. And I don't want to, at this age, I don't want to get off into another venture. Right. No, that's fair. I, I spent a bit of time pouring over some pictures again of some of the stuff that you come up with, just trying to make it to where it's understandable in my mind. Um, it looks like you've, you've come up with your own version of a, of a throttle body plus a barrel valve uh, to run one of these tractors. And how much R&D went into figuring that all out? Oh, it's really nothing. We used a propane one back in the day, and that got so expensive that it was cheaper at that time to just go ahead and build my own and i didn't like the way everybody else was building theirs i wanted them with ball ball bearings in them so and then thicker shaft bigger shafts and thicker throttle plates in them because i wanted to engineer all the problems out that i'd seen in the past and right that, that just came out of necessity basically all that did fuel pumps i you know i've got my own fuel pumps that we use now and the, and the amount of fuel we put in these tractors now just blows my mind we're putting close to 30 gallon a minute in these 505. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a lot. Yeah. I'm yeah, gonna, it is. It's unbelievable. If you told me that, you, for instance, uh, bad medicine, I still got flow, ch flow charts on it. And about 18, at 70 pounds of boost or whatever, it was only about, uh, what, about 18, 17, 18 gallon a minute at the most back then. And that's with 654 cubic inch. Yeah, and so. and you're you're doing the higher number at the smaller smaller cube, right? You're, you're right. talking light super, so 504. Right, 504 cubic inch. Yeah, we're bumping right there, 29 to 30 gallon all the time now. And I got three tractors that are doing that. But <laughs> problem with all that's putting the power to the ground, and we're still working on that. It's a we're not making as smooth of runs as some of those other guys are out there. I think we've got the horsepower, but I don't believe we can hard to, to make as smooth of runs as some of the other teams are doing out there. And I probably need to back them down a little bit. Yeah. And my motors want to turn too hard. That's, that's the problem I have. And a lot of the other builders out there don't seem to have that problem. And I haven't figured out why I've, I've tried a hundred different things, but whenever your motors with a, four and a half or four and three quarter stroke will go over 8,000 so easily. It's just a lot of weight to be throwing around. And right. you get something like Bryce's that had rod bushings put in the small ends of, and you turn it over 8,000 and it just won't, it won't take it. They're three years old and that was the end of that. So, but it's something I don't want to see again. And we've still got it in here, taking it apart and getting new engine put together, but We've got some ideas, but don't want to go down. I just, I don't, that's the only rod we've ever thrown out that it wasn't due to a, getting a bearing or something. We've only thrown, of our connecting rods, we've thrown two out, I guess, and those and Bryce's, but it's not a feeling you ever want to experience again. No. When last I'd talked to you a few years ago, um, kind of picked your brain about some different things and, at the time, you had mentioned that you know, you're trying to get injectors moved into the heads and, and not so much really have anything going in the intake manifold if you could at all help it. 
and the Bammer heads are set up to do just that. Um, yeah. uh, you know, you got you do have one circuit that's in 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 the manifold, but the rest and this photo this photo is kind of tough to explain without seeing it top down. But you do have injectors going in that are right into the intake port. It looks in this photo like it's going to the exhaust port, but it's not. It does go across to the the intake valve behind it. That's the Bammer. Um, that's the way they're set up. Yeah. And there's we, efficiencies for that, right? Well, you get the you get the fuel out of the out of the airstream of the intake manifold. So as much fuel as we're putting in these, and we're port limited anyway, you start figuring out that you're you know what sixty three four cubic inch whatever it is. I can't even remember now. I haven't figured it for a while. Eighty cubic inch a hole. Where's my calculator? What's five hundred four divided by six, guys? He's got the calculator, Andy. Any rate, we're port limited. You got a two and a half inch valve in there. 84. 84. There you go. Okay, been a while since I figured I've been working a lot limited, so I was thinking 60 some cues. My bad. Any rate, you're port limited and you don't want that fuel to turn any more times than you have to. So we're running four nozzles now, and that's because our nozzles are getting so big that a 2000 jump on a nozzle size makes a huge jump. In and so we're running four nozzles so we can make smaller changes on the fuel setup now. And that's the whole reason. There's no more power in four nozzles, but it's just a matter of being able to make smaller incremental changes to where it don't affect your tune-up so drastically. So adjustability being the key there? Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Do you foresee a, a time of trying something like doing a direct injection into the cylinder? I mean, I got... I got three cars in my driveway and only one's a diesel, but all of them are direct injection. Exactly. Interesting concept. I worked on um, back in the 70s when I was still a teenager. I could go back and redo that. But nonetheless, uh, one of the guys that I talked to on the phone was running a, a diesel injection pump, a pair of them on a 302 Chevy you know, on the Bonneville salt flats. But it wasn't direct injection. It was into the, it was time that was in the intake port. And I'd already read quite a bit of stuff about the direct injection. The problem with it on a, on an alcohol motor is getting something that can handle the, the volume, the sheer volume, yeah. and handle that kind of, through, a, through a, any kind of an injector. I'm, I won't say that you can't get a good portion of it through an injector that you could direct inject like that and maybe start the, start the ignition process the flame kernel with that a little bit of you know a little bit of spark in there and there's there's some study there's so there's some cars out there that run that and they use a stratosphere type of injection now and if you study on that you'll see what i'm talking about but it's something that could be done whether the sport will justify the cost i don't know yeah and that's that's that was actually the kind of next thing i was curious about is you know the the concept of of introducing efi really across the board and and trying to make that work and i think you exactly hit hit the nail on the head you're looking at a total pool of maybe 40 guys who could spend the money to develop it but why exactly and the problem with electronic fuel injection, even with injectors that are available today, getting the injector location where you want it because of, of real estate problems is a real factor in, in doing that. I mean, you can't place them where you need to place them because of the sheer size of them. Yeah. And 
those guys don't understand how hard we load these things either. I've got a good friend that's in the drag racing world and he's got a good friend of his that, that does electronic fuel injection. He's actually been here at my shop. I won't drop names or anything, but we had that very exact same conversation and he agreed with me that you'll never make the horsepower with electronic fuel injection that you can make with, with uh, mechanical. Now, can you extend your oil changes and make it idle and, and transition better? Sure. But yeah. ultimate horsepower? No. I think, I think the, the, the tuning side, again, we're still talking about the same pool of, you know, you know, whatever it is, 50 to 60 guys doing it, but you don't see the, the popping and banging, you know, if you've got a class of 12 alcohol tractors, uh, 20 years ago, two of them would struggle to even get lit. And you just don't have that anymore. The only time you see somebody struggle is when it's brand new and they're just kind of getting those early data log runs to figure out where they are. One thing you understand when you work with these things is if you've got a wastegate and you've got sensors on there, both of them sense air density. So that the wastegate will spin that turbocharger up till it's got the same air densities it would have, same boost, which has to be air density to build boost. It's nothing but a measure of restriction. So you've got the wastegate that's working for you in that effect. And the, the boost sensor, which is nothing but a, it's a pressure regulator is all it is with a bleed hole in there and an air signal to it, which it uses boost to increase the fuel with a poppet that it shuts off. That also senses air density. The only thing that sensor will not do, and that's the problem I have with my engines, is because I run over a wide RPM. My motors will run from 4,000 to 8,500 RPMs, and you can't do that because the sensor, by the very nature of it, it's a pressure regulator, and it flattens out the fuel curve. You can overcome some of it by pumps and pump size and some other things that you can do, but there's no good way to have a fuel curve like you would have on a supercharged motor, which is nothing but a fixed jet type of fuel injection. As it revs up, that fixed jet becomes more and more of a hindrance and more and more pressure as the RPMs go up. If you look at my motors from 5,000 RPM to 8,500, the fuel pressure will not, it will not move much more than 20 or 30 pounds, maybe 40 at the most. And I've done some things over the years to make that better, but I've not figured it out to do it. And, and I'm not, it's, if you've got one that runs from 4,000 to 6,000 to tune one, it's like falling off a log. There's nothing to it. I mean, you just got to get close and then it runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. And the only time you'll have troubles when the thing over revs one wheels or something like that. But some guys seem like they can break rear ends and their RPM won't go up a bit. I don't know how they're doing it. I, I just, there must be a lot smarter than I am. But my motor, my motors won't do that. The John Deere in 16 or whatever year it was for the, the 50th reunion out there, Bowling Green, Brian Deakman was driving it. That thing turned, had an 8,000 chip in it, and it, that chassis threw a tire out of the ground, and the motor went to 8,600 RPM, clear past the rev limiter shut the motor completely off, went silent, come back below 8,000 and bang so hard that people that was in the pits a quarter mile away had their trailers shake. It was loud. Good grief. Yeah. And it broke a lifter. That's one of the only lifters I've ever broke. It broke a lifter and ballooned out all the exhaust plumbing on it, and, but didn't hurt the rods. Rods are still running in it, I believe. Haney's got it now. I think I remember seeing the 
pictures of that exhaust all pushed out. <laughs> I forgot who, who had sent it to me, but I think I did see that. Yeah, the rectangular tubing was round, so it was a more efficient <laughs> flow care, uh, coefficient after it did that. So. <laughs> <laughs> you to figure out how to make those in the shop so you can put them on that way to, to start with. <laughs> They'd be stronger. <laughs> I got that back here. I hadn't seen it for a long time, and Deekman brought it, brought it back, and I said, "Did you see this?" And he said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Look at that manifold." Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, we're talking with Brian Connor. You got any questions for him? Please throw them in the comments by all means, and uh, we'll be sure to ask. Might be like Radio Shack. You got questions, I got dumb stares. <laughs> uh, people hey, don't even hey, remember Charles. Radio Shack. That's hey, probably Charles. Yeah. Should we, should we ask him for a Gerboss story? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> give yes, us give us one good one because you know he's he, you know he's listening and he oh, can't yes. yell at you and in his own defense. Yeah. Give us a good one. I can't do that to him. He, 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 brought can. The, he brought the trailer out to Bowling Green and let us stay in it and parked it right next to the tractor. I can't. I can't. Uh... That's okay. You don't have to. We will. We'll take the heat for that because he's never provided logic for me and he's only done it for Charles once. He's a hell of a guy. Let me tell you. Yes, I got he no, is. No for that I guy. love that man dearly. Yeah. he's. A, he, I call him the tractor whisperer because he knows every bit of history that's involved in tractor pulling going back way farther than i think he is old so i don't know how he how he does it i can't do we it. don't we don't know either he but remembers we're thankful stuff. for it yeah he remembers stuff i can't my head gets too loaded full of crap he was he called danny dean up on the day anniversary date of 40 some years danny Den, dean didn't even know what he was talking about he did share that one with <laughs> said, what are you talking about? he says that's the year you took the thing down there and to uh, Lagod and got everything put on there and brought either brought it back or dropped it off. One of the two, I don't recall. That was that. just that was just like, what that was recent, wasn't it? Yeah, he yeah. Was there. I'd read it on Facebook and he called me at Christmas time there and we were talking. I said, "How in the hell do you remember that shit?" <laughs> he said, "Danny Dean had the same thing." I called him up and on that very day, he didn't have a clue what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's Andy for you. He's a character. He just, I told him the other day, I says, you've got more energy than three of me. I swear. I said, you just don't slow down. He's always doing something. He's on a on a ride or going to a show or doing something. He must just not stop. Always cooking something. I asked him how many grills he had now. He said, I've actually cut back on my grills. He said, I bought a Traeger. I said, I was surprised when I looked through your arsenal that you didn't already own one of them. I said, I bought one of those about five years ago. I said, best thing I ever bought. He's got to still have over 20. I think so. I'll bet he does. <laughs> he wouldn't answer. He's probably ashamed. For Maybe his wife was listening. Probably had some head that she don't know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think there's many secrets between him and Lisa. No, no I don't either. Yeah, too. She's I, think got, she's, I think she's got him figured out pretty well. Yeah. He's pretty accommodating from what I can see. Well, it's Andy. Yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we love her. Yep, no doubt. I said, you know, you get away with shit that no other man should. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. 
right, all right, Brian. Let's let's talk. Let's talk. Let's nope. talk pulling. What were some of your favorite tracks to pull at when you were competing? Always power tracks. Bowling Green, Toma. Um, Port Recovery wasn't too bad back in the earlier days. It got where it was pretty slick. That one year we won 17 out of 24 hooks. And I guess it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth because I was the last hook and it started pouring down rain. And, and I got a sixth place that night. So I kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother never let me forget it either. But because all the other hooks were seconds and thirds. And I think there was one third and all the rest were seconds. That was in 92. So that was a pretty... Pretty rewarding year. I'm trying to think some of the Inwood, Canada. That was a tremendous track. Missed that place. Uh, that was the clip that we opened with when you first joined right. on. That's that was from Inwood. Yep. I remember that. I took Doug Russell with me up there that year that we that was the year we had a clinch, so we all we had to do was show up. That one year we won it, just barely won it, and Ernie thrown a connecting rod out. That was in ninety one. We had I had to take a week off and go to Brent's and put a motor together and we went up there and we were like seven points down and second time and second first hook out went down two more and we ended up there's three hooks and we ended up winning the thing but that was a pretty stressful time well I can't think you might have to throw some names out there I don't recall what some of the other really good tracks were hold on I'm on it Morgan's asking if you like Davenport, Iowa. Never went back. Loved it. The first, only went one time, won it, so I got I got to love it. That was the only time we ever was back at Davenport, as far as I can recall. They never had another Grand National pull there because we never pulled another Grand National until 1990, or 89, I mean, rather, with the John Deere. And by that time, they didn't have one. Lincoln, Nebraska was pretty decent, if I recall. That would have been the state fair hook. State fair hook before they moved it. Des Moines usually had a pretty good track whenever they didn't get it too wet. Let's see. You had wins at places like Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. I didn't I didn't go. Okay. Uh Worthington, Minnesota. Don't believe I was there either. I had to work. I had a full time job. Yeah. <laughs> You guys swept Canfield, Ohio, two years in a row. Yep. That was uh, on track. Swept Toma, Wisconsin, two years in a row. You mentioned Scribner, Nebraska. Uh, Chapel Hill, Tennessee. Never liked that track. Never liked it, even though we won there. I never liked it. It was too – and a lot of it, I've got a bad, bad emotional connection with it, with my buddy being thrown off the tractor and dying from that Gene Donaldson. But the track was rough, and – had hard and soft spots in it and it was just it was always a violent track and it wasn't a power track so i i wasn't my favorite that's all i'll say i've seen old video of making missouri i've never been there i don't know what you think of that place didn't like it either it was mm -hmm. the same thing it was built for low horsepower tractors so that the people that ran there could do better and uh we eventually learned how to overcome it but it was it was a challenge it, yeah an inconsistent track and it wasn't a power track what did you think of the the new england tracks like hamburg new york conicook new hampshire st hyacinth quebec you guys did well at all the, all three of those those were all good tracks i didn't go to any of those i never got to make the east coast tour 
never got a chance to do that because I always, always had to work. I only had three weeks vacation at that time. So most of the time I had a week off from Christmas to New Year's and I spent it at Brent Long's working on the engine, building parts and every weekend up there, Greencastle working on the tractor. And the other weekends I'd take one day at a time to, to uh, go to the tractor pull. So my time was limited to what I could do. I couldn't take the long trips. That's fair. Des Moines, Iowa is another one on your uh, Grand National win record. I, I like that one a lot whenever, like I said, if they didn't get the track too wet. That was the only time. It was a kind of a gumbo track back in the day, and it was it was a power track. I like that. In fact, John Deere made a seven-second seven run, if I remember right, in 1989 there, 300 feet. Fastest run that he had ever recorded there. And that was back in the days before race sleds. Yeah, that's right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. moving. Yeah, that's moving. He said it was like two seconds faster or three seconds faster than anybody, even including the mom, had ever made. I wasn't there for that one either because I'd changed jobs. Eighty, see, no, I hadn't changed jobs yet. But at any rate, I wasn't there. Wow. How about Elkhorn, Wisconsin? Any memories there? Yeah, I run out of bounds at the four sixty there because I broke the differential off. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Colton. Why did you ask? <laughs> but, yeah, that's didn't do any good there. After you come back, it was kind of defended in the, the win at Davenport and about run a stake through the brand new set of tires that dad had bought to put on there. <laughs> I knew that wasn't going to end well if that happened. <laughs> He'd actually gone with me because he's impressed that we'd won Davenport. So we were both disappointed. Don't Most of the wins you guys had seemed to be NTPA. Were you loyal to that series, or did you guys dabble with what U.S. Hot Rod was doing at all? They didn't have any any uh, super stock pulling at that time. That was gotcha. all modifieds and two-wheel drives and, and four-wheel drive pickups. They didn't okay. have any super stocks. They had some maybe in the wintertime in Florida, perhaps, but nothing during the summer. Yeah. And we always rebuilt during the winter, so we couldn't go winter pulling anyway. There he is. He's watching. Who's that? Ah, there Andy. he is. There he is. It's Andy. Little track, first set of double cuts. Did you like it? Well, we did the first year, but I didn't like it the second year because we went to the, run it out into the sand the hardest of anybody there the first the first go around and come back for the pull off and the track was gone. There was nothing left to hook up and it's like they had hooked us on the bottom hitch there. I mean, it was embarrassing. That was in so one it in ninety. 92, I guess, won it, come back in 93, and then we got third there, but it just didn't hook up at all. Nothing but dry pebbles. That's when they got rid of, I think after that, they got rid of anybody running single cuts there. And I had probably several years later, I think it was probably 96 or 7, they did that because it tore up the track. What, what? what was 04. That? 04 was the last year you could do it. Oh, was it that late? Okay. Yeah. See, I was gone, so I kind of forget. I'm not. I don't have the memory that old Andy has there. So. <laughs> is he whispering? He's got a mind like a steel trap. No, doesn't I, he? The only reason, the only reason I knew that one is I had done a, a YouTube video specifically about that. I don't know. It's probably four or five years ago. So that's the only reason I knew that one because okay. I'd found I'd found a video from '04 of Louisville and Blade Gray's Red Horse was on single cuts. So I'm like. There's a story here because that looks absolutely bizarre to me now. I, I mean, I remember it in period, of course, but. Like it just looks so strange to see an MX tractor on single cuts just because you don't see it anymore. Right. 
Yeah, and that's... Time, that thing was brand new. They were the first ones on the Polar 2000. So I got so used to seeing that tractor with those. Yep. We, we was the first alcohol or first super stock tractor period to have those on there. They have the double cuts on. We did that and come out with it in 90. So we did it in 91. We just didn't realize how much trouble we'd had. And uh, Bill Leshner was the one that helped me with that as, as much as anybody did. I, I've been his ear for hours that winter asking questions and stuff and gear ratios and how fast he was turning the tires. And I started to realize that we were turning the tires about as hard as a three engine mod. So we needed to have tires more like that. So that's when that tractor really started coming around. We put the double cuts on there because it did have such tire speed that uh, it would just load the front of the sled. Just covered. Well, I got a picture from that from Des Moines, actually, from the Iowa State Fair in 90. And the buckboard is completely full and the dirt is rolling over the top of it with the white hook to it. Completely Man. over the top. It took them 20 minutes to, with a shovel to get the dirt out from under, off of the, off of the, sled it actually took time out from the pole <laughs> when you make the when you make the sled operator shovel his stuff off <laughs> <laughs> i'd kind of forgotten that one but yeah i remember that and i had a picture of it that i got in my file somewhere that i stored back I, th I think we just learned something about sled design and why there's flaps all over the buckboards now the way that they are i think there i think there might be a name attached to that <laughs> yeah it's the Connor rule. <laughs> yeah, they called us the Controversy Brothers back in the day. <laughs> so that brings up another. That brings up kind of another question that you kind of touched on. Um, who are the competitors that taught you the most? Either by you know sitting BSing by the campfire, or in the you know in the pit, or on the track. Who taught you guys the most? First John Deere tractor is Warren Rock, probably. I asked him a million questions before we built that John Deere, and he helped me a lot with rear ends and gear ratios and planetary problems and everything he'd had. He he was he was not ashamed to help me with that, and he did I was a wealth of information. Uh, don't really know. The other guys just watching them after after you start beating them, they don't want to share much information. But <laughs> no, I suspect not probably 5,000 pound guys, but Esden Lane back in the day, I watched and studied him. He was one of the, still is to this day, probably one of the smoothest operators out there. And that was the thing I was trying to get into my brother's head all the time. How he had to be on smooth on the clutch and driving and keep the steering wheel straight and not turn the wheels and all that. So, I mean, I just watched the runs that he made. I learned a tremendous amount from him because whatever line he took, you probably ought to be paying attention and the way he leave, leave the line and, and not blow the tires off and straight down the track. He's hard to beat. He could have 300 horse less than somebody else and still beat them. Um, Danny Dean was always a good one to, to watch and emulate, but probably back in the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties, when we were doing all this, watch the mod guys more than anything especially after I figured out how much tire speed we had because watched, watched uh, Tim Engler. Tim Engler taught us a lot, and that's why his name was on the back of the tractor. All the questions about everything, drive line, drive train, how to set up the transmission, 
how to make things that weren't breakable. I remember we twisted an input shaft on that. And he says, if I can't build an input shaft that won't twist for a friggin' super stock, he says, this one's free. <laughs> 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 so he's, he made another one, didn't charge me for it. I'll never forget that. But he taught me a lot. And I, he spent a lot of time teaching me. I really respected that because at that time, Doug Russell was out of the picture and hadn't kept up with everything. And I kind of lost track of him. But Tim was there and he was a wealth of information on chassis and balancing it and everything else. We hung that tractor upside down with a W20 payloader and drew lines on it to do our center lines of gravity with it when we first built it. And everything was built off of that. Hmm. There, people drove by out there in that little shop that we built it in that saw that tractor hanging by its rear wheels upside down. I probably didn't know what to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's a testament though to just you know the level that the you've always operated at and surrounded yourself with people who could think at that level too. It wasn't just spitball all the time. You know, you had engineering principles going into the so much of what you guys accomplished and still are. Well, I mean, like I've said back in the past, and still still follow that philosophy is that. I don't mind copying somebody if there's good sound principles behind why I'm doing it, but I wouldn't just blindly go follow somebody. I mean, it's like when we built that Caterpillar and we put external brakes on, we was the first one to have external brakes on there. So everybody rushed out and thought that was a secret to our success and started putting brakes on the wheels. Well, what they didn't realize is we didn't have any brake pinions inside that rear end housing. So we had no place to put brakes. And when so actually they're not near as good of brakes as having them on a brake pinion shaft on a on a cast tractor so that's the kind of thing that i never have understood why people just blindly follow what somebody else is doing and we i'd like to pride myself on thinking that i've never done that i, I think in a lot of respects and i don't think you'd get much argument about it you guys definitely you certainly blazed the trail for for yourself you yeah. Just finally got enough money to do what I wanted to do. <laughs> hey, Charles Colton asked a really interesting question. Uh, the bottom one there? Yeah, I think I think so. Tillman 88, the 55 class. What was your thoughts as an Alki tractor chasing down the diesels and Kevin Lynn's Ford was on a tear that year? We ran against Kevin Lynn. That's one person I almost mentioned as far as learning a lot from because he's another puller that ranks right up there with Esden Lane because he, he was a tremendous driver and puller and I think that still stands true today because that guy is he's very, very good. He always gets the most out of his equipment regardless of the situation that he's put in and uh, he had good equipment and he's a tremendous driver and he was very, very difficult to beat back then. And we had the Massey at that time and we couldn't we couldn't beat him if everything went if everything was heads up we couldn't beat him and i knew that i knew we had to build something better but yeah he was impressive and he he worked with uh Staub back then bless his heart he's no longer with us now but um uh, Staub and him were they were a formidable team brent have you heard any updates on the rebirth of notorious it's in the process Seriously. Yep. Yeah. Kevin's got Kevin bought it back and he's planning to have three tractors out this year. I heard three of Cassie and Mondovi. Yep. 
Because he also because he did buy uh, Mark Pizek's tractor as well. So I'd heard that. That's another guy that doesn't get a enough credit as uh, the builder from Day Fund from Mondovi. That guy is a tremendous fabricator and innovator. I got a lot of res- mad respect for his for his builds because he built some really nice stuff. Yep, hard to argue with that. Mondovi mm-hmm. Mafia. Yep, and all those guys are tough up there. But when you get 20 inches of snow every two weeks, you haven't got anything else to do except drink beer and build the pulling tractors, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, I'm curious if uh, you'd ever climb back in the sea to something again. Uh, I think that ship sailed. I drove the John Deere out to in um, Nebraska when it was having trouble with the chassis, trying to figure out what was wrong with it. And, it didn't it didn't bring any feelings back that I really need. I'd rather watch them so I can study and figure out what's going on with them. I wanted to drive it to see why it was wanting to one wheel and I figured that out and that quenched my thirst for driving. I remember Where when was you guys that? Were having that fight. What's that? I remember Where when you guys that? were having that fight it. with it. It was at the Lincoln, Nebraska, their indoor pool. It was at the Cornhusker. Okay. That's Corn- what I thought. Oh yeah, yeah. And my glasses fogged up. I had to take my glasses off, and that's before I had my cataract fixed, so I couldn't see anything. That was frustrating. So, it too, I'm too big, fat, and hot, so I don't like getting hot anymore either. So, <laughs> having Screech. to put all that. I, I know how this works. <laughs> so you're most. So you can say literally for that run, you had to drive by the seat of your pants. I did absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying. I was trying to figure out what was happening with the chassis, and it was coming over and hitting the stops and unloading the chassis and and then i was pissed so about broke the brake pedals off of it then and still run out of bounds what year was that i'm trying to figure out i if i have uh pictures of that oh god i won't post them if i do but (laughs) (laughs) it was 16 17 must have been i have pictures of that i i remember that I remember that 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 was a that was a reaching for the Advil kind of pass. I re, I remember you getting bounced around a fair bit. Yeah, that didn't hurt. My pride was hurt worse than anything. But it's over revved and one wheeled and went one direction first, then went the other direction, and that's when we changed differentials and changed some stuff in the chassis and got it better. I've never fixed it. I don't, I don't know if it's fixed now or not. I haven't seen it so. Had some ideas what was going on there, but it had tires weren't that good and it was too heavy on the ass and there's just a lot of issues. It wasn't a it wasn't a clean sheet build and it should have been. Lessons learned. Yeah, that's exactly right. You ever party in the BG campgrounds? Oh yeah, you have to ask. Uh, uh, Rich Lustick, if I ever took him over to the campgrounds and get him revved up before he went to hook, give him some. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I said, here's the, here's the red line you're looking for, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Do it again, Sam. <laughs> Mantha. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, we're going to, that, that'll get, that'll, that'll come up. That'll get asked. <laughs> 
Yeah, because we run into we run into Rich once in a while. Do you really? Yeah. Oh yeah, once another. in a while. I don't think he gets out that much anymore, does he? No, so we kind no. of appreciate the opportunities that we get to BS with him. Yeah. He he can be a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm going to have to, uh, I think he's, he's kind of close to home. So Ashland, Ohio might get circled on my calendar for September. Bingo. They're about the only ones that could have taken that tractor and done with it what they did with it. And there are very few people that could have done what they did with it. So I have to give them kudos in that respect. Being a one-off design like it was and being able to continually improve it like they did. Yeah, I don't imagine there was – well, there was no book. I mean, you wrote it for, for what it was. They did a good job. The only thing that slowed them down now is the strength's not there in that motor. They made it last a lot longer than I thought it would. Motor just doesn't have the inherent strength of like a 903 Cummins or even a six-cylinder for that matter. Yeah. Something I'm curious about, because you are doing some manufacturing, what, with all the COVID garbage, what's been your experience with availability of raw material and the quality of it once you get it? Don't, I can't speak to the, to the quality because all of the raw material gets certified material, but it double, it's doubled in price. Yeah. And I, last time I bought any, I got, I wanted five bars and I got, I called three places. One place wanted where I normally got it, they wanted three times the normal price for it. Oof. I finally found it at another place, and they was only going to let me have two bars. And uh, I think five bars is a mill run. I wanted a mill run, but they wouldn't let me have it. They had five, but they had to keep one. But where I did get it, it was double the price of what we'd bought in the past. Oh. So I had to go up on the price of connecting rods because of that. You know, and yep. rod bolts have gone up. It's just materials almost impossible to get now in, in some in some kinds and most of it I was fortunate enough that I was able to buy it ahead of time yeah so but quality I can't speak to that for the most part except completed parts aren't the quality's not as good as it used to be doesn't look like right and just and everybody's going out of business you look at Hillborn they're they've been bought up by by uh, Holly, and I bought a bunch of their stuff whenever they moved down to to Kentucky, the Bowling Green. But they're not producing anything right now, so we've had to start building our own sensors and stuff like that. We build those now, and drives and many other things we have to build ourselves. And then you've got uh, uh, Enderly. You know, they went through a management shakeup, and yeah producing anything like they used to it's almost impossible to get their parts so whenever i find stuff i've been stocking up on fuel injection parts where i can but the availability is just not there yeah it, you get companies like holly <coughs> or race winning brands or whatever that they're buying up all these other places i think we're not necessarily there yet and 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 you've said you maybe don't want to even go necessarily entertain going down that road but I think, think that door's going to open for people to step into a void now and start producing some of this stuff you used to be able to get from a Hillborn or an Enderley and and 
potentially have a, a very good business. Uh, but thank but they'll, be, they'll be faced with the same raw material problems that, that you just talked about. It's starting to loosen up a little bit on raw material, seems like, but it's not great yet by any stretch of the imagination. So I, I don't know what the future portends, but uh, I really don't know. Hopefully it'll get better. But I haven't taken on any new work in the last year since my employee died, and I'm still a year behind, looks like. So yeah, I just got to get some stuff finished up, and it's been it's been a struggle for sure. Yeah, trying to get push rods and you know just and gaskets and bearings and bearings has been a real problem getting bearings. Have to go buy four times as many and have them on order for four times as long. Right, what you would normally have them. So crankshafts, well, you know, I was lucky that I'd ordered six of them in when I did that for cranks to get counterweighted. And we're about to run through those. And I hate to even ask where we are on those now. But it's well, we're, we're well past the hour I wanted to hold ourselves to with you. And I appreciate you persevering with uh, getting the tech figured out so you could join us. Yeah, I don't know what happened to my Internet for sure. That hadn't happened for a long time well leave it to us to be the crash test dummies for something like that <laughs> well i appreciate your patience for sure you're hey, worth brian it. i know we got one brian. more for you though okay yeah, we got one i got one more question for you all right if you were to take anything anything no holds barred uh and go pulling with it for a weekend what would you take where would you pull with it and why any vehicle, any class, I don't care. Past, present, whatever. I build it. Big block, John Deere. Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> You're the first one to say that. I got to give him credit are, for that. You're the first one to say that. Yeah. You're the first person to say I would build it. I know what I'd build. <laughs> Be a superstar. All right. Well, let's hear it. Big, big block, John Deere with a short stroke, big bore. Four pro stock turbos on it, about a 60 gallon a minute pump, and about a 12 to 1 gear turning 7,500 RPM with Metos tires on it. And the front end weighing Dear 55. God. So, what I just heard was I need to win the lottery because I need to see that built. I got to see this happen. Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> It'd be I different. But that big block deer. Nothing that compares to it. I mean, I started building one in 1995 after we sold Bad Medicine and decided it was too big of a project for me to take on and do from Texas. And I wasn't ready to leave Texas at that juncture. But, so what uh, kind of sheet metal would it wear? I'm not a green lover, so I'd probably put something else on it. I'm not sure I wouldn't do the... That's a good question. I might, I'd probably do a blown up Kubota sheet metal on it. <laughs> good for you, man. <laughs> You've been around Bryce Terry too long. <laughs> got to be different, man. Just got to be I different. I love it. I absolutely love it. Awesome. I'd have to check the sheet metal. You'd probably it'd take somebody with pretty good talent to build it, but it can be done. There's but, some people out there doing some good stuff. Yeah, oh, there yeah. Is. there's some talent. 
look at Ace. I mean, that guy didn't do mm-hmm. sheet metal 10 years ago, and look what he's building now. Oh, yeah. No, Mike Stinson is doing some amazing things. Absolutely. That guy's a craftsman, no doubt about it. I have to run oh, against 100%. I have to run against these friggin' chassis every weekend. So. <laughs> <laughs> he built some good stuff. Yes, he does. That Brad Bowen, I think, too, used to work for him, and he's putting out mm-hmm. some nice stuff too. I yeah. don't love that guy at all, but yeah, he, he doesn't like he doesn't publicize it. You kind of got to have him on Facebook to see what he's up to, but it's beautiful. It is. Mm-hmm. I got some friends that know him personally, and I, they kind of keep me abreast of what he's doing, what he's building. But, uh, yeah, it, like I said, I'm not, I'm not in love, love with the color green and John Deere especially. So <laughs> don't like some of their corporate shenanigans, if you will. But I do like that big block beer. And it wouldn't be overhead cam. It'd be push rod too. There you go. Easier to work on. Yeah. But space for stuff and angles and things. Yeah, I think I could. I think seventy five hundred horse isn't out of the question. Maybe eight. I think if there's one guy who could do it, it'd be you. Just have uh-huh. to have the, have to have the bankroll to make it happen. Yeah, you just got to have strong enough parts in it. That's the thing. Awesome. It shows that when you do when you start doing. When you start doing performance analysis with some of the software I got, it says it can be done with 500 cubes. You can make over 6,000 horsepower, but I'm not ever going to put one on the dyno to find out. (laughs) (laughs) Educate anybody else. (laughs) Or if, or if you do let somebody else run it while you're outside. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. Put some distance. Wearing a helmet. I'd look like one of those special need kids with my helmet on in the room, wouldn't I? <laughs> You'll look just like all the rest of us. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. You guys are a hoot. What the hell is old Schultz and why would he even want to call in if he's over there with his wife? That's what I didn't quite get. It's a, it's a big to-do, I guess, that uh, is going to happen there at Farm Show. I don't he he's tight-lipped about it. I, he won't say what it is. No, he hasn't told any of us. I missed out on that. What what was he saying anyway? Oh, the, oh no, I didn't. I heard that he was talking about some kind of a party or something there. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, and I guess yeah. at this party there is a there's an announcement coming that is sounds like pretty significant for the sport, but no one knows what it is unless you've signed one of the NDAs that has been signed. Interesting. So, None of us know what it, and none of us know what it is. We're not cool enough to hang out in rooms like that. Well, what's been privileged enough to get to sign the deal, uh, disclosure? So yeah, because they know we got big mouths. Not that I mean <laughs> right. Jason, of course. So I mean, how the hell did he? But exactly. <laughs> yeah, how they actually let him in the room when they talked about it? No freaking idea. There had to be something signed in blood, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> What what's the what's the status of PPL? That's public anyway that you guys can talk about. All I know um, is a little live heard. It's it's live. They've got a calendar. They've stated that they're going to back all the member states that they had in the past. Um, yeah. Just not going to have Lucas Oil's name on the masthead anymore, and we're still waiting to see who the real new owner is. But 
business as usual as far as they're concerned. That's all all that we're hearing. That's kind of what I've heard too. Yeah. I was concerned about it because that'd be a, I'm not going to say it'd be a death knoll for tractor pulling, but it sure wouldn't have done it any good. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I agree. Because PPL and Force Lucas is they've raised the standards by quite a little bit, and I told Force that himself when I last time I talked to him, and that's been a few years back, but. Uh, NTPA is basically paying what they paid in 1976, so that's the whole problem I see there, and it don't seem to be any chance of it getting any better. And maybe, maybe with adding all these classes, maybe it's not possible to. I don't know. I was talking with some of the pullers back from back in the day, and they used to be able to buy a brand new 1066, go to God, get it fixed up, and pay for it in one year. Yeah, that just blows my mind. Yeah, totally different world now. We mm-hmm. spent about one hundred and twenty to one hundred and thirty thousand dollars in nineteen eighty nine and ninety to build bad medicine. That was an ungodly amount of money for me. Yeah, I I think with all the uh, controversy, so to speak, with you know things this weekend, I think the comment I saw that uh, at least made me laugh and maybe die a little bit inside because of the truth behind the humor was from Marty Chandler when he said, this is serious business. After all, there's hundreds of dollars at stake. <laughs> I saw that too. I got kind of chuckled. He was smart enough to get out of it for a lot of them. Did, probably. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's very difficult to justify what people do. And that's what you worry about because, you know, those with the money, they've got other options on things that they can do with their time and money. And those that can really afford it, I mean, they've got a lot of options and probably a lot of other interests. And it's a lot of work to do anymore. Yeah. I've got mad respect for those that do pursue it and, and stay with it as long as they do. I kind of wonder if they, we won't see a shift in terms of model from it seems like here in the US a lot of pullers there there's a lone wolf mentality whereas the Europeans you'll have teams of 10 20 guys and there's four or five different drivers for tractor but because there has to be to make it go we, and we had that camaraderie back in the 90s we had people helping us as show up and help and work you just don't i don't see anybody having that anymore i don't know what it is i don't know whether it's a work ethic problem with today's society or our kids or those are coming up, but I mean, it kind of reminds me of that George Jones song of who's going to fill their shoes because we, we're we not building young pullers unless they are in a pulling family to come and take this thing over. Yeah. I think we've got a tremendous product to sell and to view, but not having people there that want to take it over and do the work it's, that it takes to do it is a real concern. It seems like a lot of people, if they can't do it on an iPhone and push a button, they don't want to do it. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of people, too, I feel, like, you know, culturally, they want they want the glory of being the man in the crash helmet themselves. They don't want to be the guy who checks the tire pressure and, and moves the cone back there, be, not realizing that that's just as important of a job. Exactly. Yep. It's like like I was talking about pulling from 5,000 to 11.2 back in the day. You couldn't find five people to help you if you pay them $20 an hour, I don't think, to help you throw weights like that today. Yeah, I don't know if anybody would do it. Of course, I wouldn't. I'm too old and fat. But you know, the only place in the world there's that many guys throwing that many plates around on a consistent basis is an antique pole. Yeah, 
because they're a special kind of crazy, and I love them for it. <laughs> I get out and watch some of those because what I've been told, I like what some of what they build because their innovation is just, it amazes me how they recast parts and build stuff and that. And I talked to several of them when I was at the Cornhuskers last time, and it's kind of interesting. And the kind of horsepower and the amount of cubic inch they get out of some of yeah. those things. I like that innovation, if you will. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of hand massage stuff going on in the antique world. Right. You know, people call them paint dryers and it pisses me off. <laughs> they deserve better. Well, I like the ones that run fast. I do I do kind of favor those, I guess, but two cylinder John Deere's don't do too much for me. Yeah, but you got to respect it when they're pushing 1100 cubic inches. That's a special kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. And when they crack those, uh, when they uh, when they whack the throttle on those, when they're coming up to the line, and you're not prepared for it, holy crap! Yeah. It scares the crap out of you. They have to put braces on the outside to keep from pushing them apart. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I I drove one back in September that was 800 cubes, and I thought the world was ending beneath my feet. Seriously. Oh, it's it's a rush, and I can't imagine what one of Rammel's new ones that's over eleven hundred is like. It's insane. That uh, what's the guy down to down here in Missouri that builds those things? God, I can't think of his name right now. I got a friend that's really good friends with him. He's got that machine you can walk into, and he builds those. Not Wilson's. God dang it. They say the memory is the second thing going. I can't remember what the first is. <laughs> Good Lord. At any rate, he builds he builds those heads and and the blocks and all that stuff for those John Deere's, and it's it's incredible. Get the machine he stands up inside of to build parts with. Hmm. Builds that kit of to hold those blocks together to bolt under the bottom of them and on the sides. I think. It's not Murphy's, is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who yeah. It is. I got a friend of mine that's really close friends with him, grew up with him, so he has him do some stuff. He's got a tremendous machine shop. Yeah, they really got a lot. They've gone pretty far with into the kit, you know, kit world. Like you, you can one stop shop a pretty decent antique with them. Yeah, I can't believe how much stuff we've got west of the Mississippi now. You got Hearts down here. They're only about 90 miles from me. They've got like 12 CNC machines. And just the amount of people that have invested in the sports unreal. Yeah. That are doing stuff. Murphy's and then them and you know Brent Long's still doing some stuff. And I don't know how much. I haven't talked to Brent for a few months, but a little bit here and there as far as I hear. I I haven't seen him out in a while myself, but yeah, he had some health issues i think i think he's got those all resolved but that whole group of us we're all getting older i mean the max simpson he's gone now hard to believe that whole generation of pullers is getting that old yeah kind of kind of puts things into perspective and and actually that's kind of my my final thought for tonight um everything that happened over the weekend lots of drama whatever and some feelings got hurt but what I would say about all of that uh, and, and my thought on it is triggered by the passing of Dwayne Edwards this morning. 
He was an announcer from uh, South Ohio, did a lot in Indiana. And I never had the privilege of meeting Dwayne in person, but I certainly had heard him through video a lot. And, and right. we had exchanged messages over the years. And one of the things we'd said we wanted to do was to get together and do a show. We're not going to get that chance. But the stories I hear from the people who did know him and did get to meet him, sharing stories is what Dwayne was all about and trying to bring a little bit of brightness into everybody's life and remind them of the fun of why we're here and why we're doing this. I think at every single event, if you don't take at least one pass off as a driver, probably not a track official. Don't, don't do that. <coughs> as no. a driver, a fan, an announcer, whatever your role is, take one run off and just look around and remind yourself that we get to do this. And we get to do it with a bunch of people who are like-minded and love doing it. Oh, yeah. If Dwayne teaches us anything, it's that. Make sure you do that. Pretty and, Brian, sure. before, and Brian, before we let you go. Yes, sir. The Polish Championship is coming up in May. We'd love to have you there as a guest. Yes. Well, Please, we'll give, it, a give it a thought. I will. I'll consider it. I don't think I'm going to have any customers going, but uh... – I've got, I'm behind. That's the problem. And I've got to get caught up. I'm going to, I'm going to have people disown me and they'll be on here cursing me if, <laughs> if I don't. Get that hey, if you skip that one weekend, that two days, three days to come out and hang with us, we will stick up for you. Come hell or high <laughs> yeah. water. I appreciate that. You guys put on a tremendous show. I was a little, uh, I, I didn't understand what happened to the crowd there last year. That's, something i don't understand you guys put a tremendous amount of effort into that and put on a good show and wh what's your thoughts on that now i've got you here together that i can ask you about it i think we learned some lessons some things we kind of did right and some things we did wrong um i think and we've talked about this internally so i guess i don't mind sharing it because i was probably guilty of it we probably figured that we're going to put on this big show and it's going to, the concept is so great. We're going to do just this awesome hook. And, and that's, we're going to get the, get the adoration of the masses because we showed up and we learned that's right. not true. Nope. But PPL had a show there later on and they didn't have a crowd there either. Yeah. I, mean, they, I don't think they had as good a crowd as what you guys did. I think we got to change our tactic a little bit. Um, but I mean, are they so. over? Has, has that poll been over? What I want to say in the scientific deal, I would be talking about beta down regulation because you've got too much stimulation there and, and they've seen too much tractor pull in that area. So they won't come out to a big event like that. But I don't think so. Uh, when we were feet on the ground finally for that weekend and, and going through town, going to various places, if we needed something, you know, run to the hardware store, run to the grocery store, whatever, or a tremendous amount of people just didn't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. So legit, our three, tactics, three of us our ran tactics, to the liquor store. Yeah. Three of us ran to a liquor store on the South side of town. They had no idea that it was happening. You gotta be kidding we, me! Somehow or another, we we managed to sell them on a sponsorship that night. Yes, we did. Yeah, yes, they we, wanted. Yeah, I mean, it was Thursday night. We go in there. I'm well, it might have had to guy. do with how much we hauled out of there between the three of us. <laughs> you just got some of your Shut money. Shut up! Back. Don't ruin the story. Make <laughs> us better salesmen. But they wanted. But you know, the next day they made phone calls, and they're like, "Hey." Put us on the program. Here's, you know, a few hundred bucks. 
So I think that, yeah, I think that our tactics do need to change. Um, and the way that we're letting people know about the show and how we're seeking sponsorship, I think that all needs to change. And we're in the process of it. So, you know, we've got we've got enough time right now. Um, you know, we are looking. And I feed, and I was pleased with it. I mean, I thought you guys did a tremendous job putting on the show there. I just look in the stands and I'm just like, why aren't the people here? Are we doing all live feed? I mean, and, and that's, I mean, that's competition in itself, having that live feed. I don't know what your, what your total count was on that. I hope it was good. But I don't remember at this point. I, I couldn't, I have top of my head. I'm not sure. I mean, one thing, one thing that kind of played against us was good weather. I mean, it, it, it helped us and it hurt us because planning was late that year. Oh yeah. And is. we had a lot of guys. I mean, seriously, the Friday night we had thunder and lightning all around us. I was driving back to the hotel at three in the morning oh and I thought, man, we're going to get dumped on any second. And it never happened. Yeah. Friday night. Had we gotten dumped on, had we gotten even an inch of rain or three quarters of an inch of rain, you know, by six o'clock, the farmers would have gotten up and said, well, Today ain't gonna dry out. Guess we'll go to a tractor pull, and you would have seen them in the and you would have yeah. seen them in the stands that night. But uh, for all of that thunder and lightning, and it was impressive lightning. I thought we were gonna really get dumped on. Um, <laughs> no, not one didn't. drop in Nashville. Not not a drop in Nashville. And I mean, even Danny Bartling wasn't there. And you know, Danny's you know always been in our corner. I think he had well. Uh, the possum was in the in the pole, wasn't it? Yeah. And you know, Danny's like, I gotta get this planted. I'm not getting out of the tractor. As then you do what you gotta do. And you know, the kid ran the tractor. Yeah, uh, granted, they live like two miles on the track. Seriously. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're that close. Wow. Yeah, but and, and the pulling tractor literally had to just come out of the garage, go over the scales, and it was on the track. So it's not like it was right. a big endeavor. <laughs> no, but still. Danny didn't get out of the fuel cost. Didn't get out of the out of the planter. That's you the know, other thing. The fuel cost at that time was stupid. Yes, it was. Yeah, fuel was yeah. bad last last spring. So, a lot of lessons learned. We're, yeah, we're lessons yeah. learned. Second year in, we're hoping for you know we're hoping for better. Um, shameless plug: if you've got a business and you want to get in on air, give any one of us. Well, other than Brian, a holler. <laughs> Brian might well, take money. You don't need to advertise right now. <laughs> right, I, I, right. I can't take care of what I got promised. That's my problem right now. <laughs> yeah. And, well, I mean, it is, so, to be fair, though, this year it is it is going smoother this year. Um, yeah. Behind the Good. scenes, we, we kind of know – we know procedurally what's going needs to happen. We also aren't so much in panic mode about what pullers are we even going to get, um, the engagements there from them. Good. through the voting process and we're yep. not hearing we got sick of hearing i'm waiting on parts i won't be ready and that's not as bad this year so it's, it's, it's doing a lot better okay good yep well i wish you guys nothing but the best on that because i know you guys stuck your necks out there to do that and you did a tremendous job mm -hmm. as far as i'm concerned and thank you we appreciate thank you. anybody that's got cojones big enough to do something like that you got to respect them or at least be fair fearful of them <laughs> <laughs> i will have to say we can't we can't thank brad holes enough 
because he yeah. is a big backing behind us as well. He kind of lets us just run and do what we want to, and he's there 100% of the way. So, yep. It looks like yeah. a beautiful facility, too. It yeah, is. he's always he's willing to make upgrades to that place. So, yeah, that's good. It'll, it will look different even this year. I mean, one year's time, it will look different. There's going to be upgrades. So, good. Tell you what, come out there and we'll give you a tour in person. How's that? <laughs> I do that if I could figure out a way. I was supposed to go to Florida for a week with a buddy of mine. He was going to said, all expense paid, you just got to get here. And I had to tell him the other day that I'm not going to be able to do that. So, no, I hear you, and I, I I appreciate your your respect for your customers too. That that, yeah, that means we a lot do too. as well. Yeah. If I get caught up for some reason, I'll be there. How about that? That's totally fair. I'll hold you to it. All right. Well, yeah, we'll we'll hold you to it, and we'll pour the first round for you and Esden. That sounds good. <laughs> and then we'll sit there impatiently waiting for stories. Oh yeah, he can tell some stories now. It won't take long some, for that to start. Something <laughs> no. tells me that the two of you together could tell some amazing stories. <laughs> I got a lot of respect for the guy. He's been around a long time, and he's been through hell with his health and everything else. So, yeah, I'm just glad he's still enduring. Mm-hmm. Yep. As are we. Yep. Well, appreciate what you guys do. Appreciate having me on. You guys have a great evening. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you taking the time. Not a problem. Thanks, Brian. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. See you. Bye. That was pretty cool. That it was. I just sat back. That was Brian freaking Connor. Yeah. I think somebody somebody up in the comments, uh, the the professor. Yeah. (laughs) Be quiet. The professor's talking. Speak, That's one of those things is I wish I was alive to watch them run. I knew about it just because well, the magazines were... at the at the time, but yeah, I was just a little bit too young to, a little too young to, to go for for bad medicine. Mm-hmm. Well, now let's be. Now wait a second. How old are you? They sold bad medicine oh. the same year I was born. See? Oh damn! Yeah, jeez, I forgot. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough, youngin. Yeah. I was in middle school when that thing came out. But um, I'm going to give an update here on the Polaris Championship. So Please yes, do. Man. I've been kind of wondering. So we've uh, obviously kicked off uh, the second round of fan voting tonight. Um, i got to so get mine in for tonight yet. February yeah, so 5th at 11.59 p.m. Um, you can vote once per day. Please only vote once per day. Don't vote 700 times. Thank you. Um <clears throat> And if you're watching, you know who you are, so just don't do it. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, we at our are next currently meeting, at, I really so, want you to name names. I, I I couldn't even tell you who it is because I have four or seven hundred names I have to decipher from. So, ah, damn it! But I mean, kudos to them for going through that much trouble. <laughs> right, that's a lot of work. Times. That's a lot of work. Um, but yeah, so. The most votes that we had in the first four hours after in the first so last year um in round one and round two and round one of this year the most votes that we had in the first four hours from 8 p.m until midnight on the money that we released it was just over 1500 uh votes and we currently are at 1831 so we are 
Nice. These numbers are significantly higher than what we had last year in round two. And we are over 800 votes more than what we had in round one uh, this year. So we are, you guys are doing awesome. Um, I think what's different this year too, is we have a lot more teams excited about it. Um, yeah. Just scrolling through Facebook, mm-hmm. there's so many teams and, and pollers that are, have been sharing it. So, you know, thank you to those guys that want to participate at our, our event. It makes us, you know, want to keep doing something like this. It's a lot of work and, uh, it's going to happen again. So 2023, May 19th and 20th, Nashville, Illinois, track of hold hours. So all the information is on the website, uh, thepolarschampionship.com. You can also find it on the Facebook page. There's still a few more invites um, from the all the initial invites that we uh, invited from points champions and uh, points finishers have been posted on the Facebook page. Um, just going through the last uh, promoter's choices. Most of them are the 85 limited pros. Um, otherwise, website's all up to date, other than I still need to do the rest of the 85 limited pros on there. Um, that should be done this week. But yeah, then uh, we'll be releasing the invites on who gets invited uh, from round two who got voted in Monday, the what is that? The 13th. Uh, let's go 13th. polling right here, 8 p.m. That's the Monday before farm show. So we will be. I don't know if we're going to have anybody on from the farm show, um, but I'm sure we'll be talking about it. Uh, but we will. We also might. We will to be continued. Yeah. So I know we've been working on trying to get somebody on. So. Hey, um, Brent, can you see that comment down below? Yeah. I'm wondering if he's, if this is the Apple problem. Um, so is that on the website or on the form? Yeah, Eric. On and the Eric, website, there's the top 20 well? competitor list, and then on here. So if you can't see them all on the phone, make sure that you're scrolling within the form and not the page. Yeah, I've been caught by that one actually. That's regardless of platform. So make sure that you're tapping like so you're scrolling where like the names are versus outside of that box, I believe. So like your finger ought to be in the middle of the screen. Yeah, pretty much. Don't try to do there it like go. on the edge because you can. There you might go. just scroll the page, and and you might not be able to see them all. Yep. I there also were plans to have pictures with all the vehicles. Um I got all the reporting working, but then yeah. when I added seven classes worth of pictures versus one class, uh, the form was very very heavy in uh, information and it took a long time to load. So for me it wasn't terrible. Um but it if you had slower internet or slower data speeds where you're at, you were not gonna load it. So Scratch that idea. Um, you can go to the tab that says top 20 on the website, and that will show you all the uh, all the competitors that are in each class and that you can vote on. So you can see the, see the vehicles and, and the name of uh, the drivers. So if you don't know who they are, just based on reading the vehicle name and the driver name, you can maybe a picture will be able to put a name to a face type of thing. Yep. So again, you can vote once a day. Um, I'll probably do, I don't know, I might do some of those updates uh, just to kind of show you where the numbers are at <clears throat> as it goes. But By the way, if he doesn't give you names of the leaders, that's by design. He's not going yep. to. Don't exactly. ask, and why can't we see the name of who's leading? And another that's thing, if, design. if you're wondering why people aren't on the top 20, one example was Ken Benny. 
Ken Benny, we reached out to him. He said he took a few days to think it over, but in the end, he decided that it just wasn't going to fall in his car or the cards weren't going to lay right. And he just didn't think that he'd be able to make it or whatever the the reason was. But he did think about it. Yeah. And uh, that's how some of these pollers are farmers and they don't want to risk not being able to go because they're still going to be in the field. Um, Some people are just completely redoing their vehicles and they don't think it'll be ready or just different things like that. Other obligations going on. So if they're not on the list, I mean, there's a good chance that, you know, some of the bigger names, if you don't see them, we probably did reach out to them. Yep. But not everyone can make it. And we understand that there's still a hell of a good lineup in each, each class. So I'm excited for all of them. Yeah. Every class would be a murderer's row. It'd be tough. Mm-hmm. So and what fact, that means like, is, farms and limited what that pros, means is there's no scam here. Yeah. Somebody made the comment, well, if he's not in there, it's a scam. No, it's not. They no. turned it down yeah. for whatever reason they turned it down for. That's I have a list us. of every single competitor we reached out to that turned it down. You don't believe me. It's on that list. I guarantee it. Because yeah. believe me, if we call them, we wanted them to be there. Yep. Yes. 110%. You, you, you guys, yeah. Sometimes you guys forget. These are our heroes, too. Yeah, you, th- you think we didn't want Ken Venny there? You kidding? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or the Mastersons? It, well, if you don't believe me, Marty Wilson was the middleman for, for us. Um, uh, kudos to Marty. He's an awesome person. Um, reached out to him, and he spent, spent some time with him this weekend and explained to him the details of the event and what we were trying to do, so... You know, thank you, Marty, for for being that point of contact for us. Uh, is this is this the Apple Mobile thing that we we talked about? We kind of had struggles with a little bit. Uh, what browser? I did it. I have an Apple, and I use Google Chrome for my browser, and I was able to see it just fine. Um, let me test it here quick. Yeah, I can see him just fine on Google Chrome. So maybe try downloading Google Chrome and see if that helps it. Does that change if you test it on uh, uh, Safari? You're make me do that, aren't you? <laughs> well, I would, I would do it, but it would take me offline. Let's see. Well, he's sorting that out. Um, surprised to look up and see this many of you still hanging with us this late in the evening. So thank you for uh, for tuning in. How many um, we still got? Yeah, it's still uh, in the nineties. Wow. Yeah. There are ninety of you that don't have anything better to do. <laughs> it's still working for me in Safari. Uh, I don't know if you can send us a screenshot to, on the Facebook page. Um, yep. I might be able to try to help troubleshoot that. So Eric, Eric your phone is broken. Here. Otherwise, like, just hop on a computer yeah. if you're if you have access to one. It really is the easiest way to do it. All right, eleven fifteen, my time. I'm sticking a fork in it. Call it. Appreciate yeah, y'all. Uh, 
Wyatt Cholte wants to remind that limited pro stock rankings on Thursday. Yes. The Chris Ashland is going to be the special guest, I believe. Yeah, Chris Ashland, we will do for uh, good. Yes. Which is probably for me going to be one of the toughest classes to rank because I see them three times a year, and one of those is Puller's Championship. We only let 10 in. <laughs> I don't see everybody. We're gonna we are going to hold you to it. And if your predictions are not correct, we will roast you to no end. Like different from when? I don't know. It yeah. just seemed like a good thing to say at the time. I think no no one's ever said I made good picks about anything except one guy at Shipshawana. And it had to do about that- Super Farm. Because I went with <laughs> check it out as my number one. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say the light limited super stock. And I was just going to say, yeah, I was going to say that text- too. <laughs> he just texted me right now. <laughs> All right. Till next time. This has been. All right, boys. Let's Later on. on. Great show tonight. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, thanks to Brian Connor. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you very much, Bye. Brian. See you guys. See you guys. Show's over.